You are listening to Feeding the Mouth That Bites You with Ashley Parrish and Jessica Pfeiffer. A weekly podcast guide on parenting teens and launching them into the world. As always, we are joined by psychologist and author, Dr. Ken Wilgus. Hey everyone, and welcome back. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about limit setting with teens. I am your host, Ashley Parrish. I am joined by Jessica Pfeiffer. Hey there. And Dr. Ken Wilgus. Hi to the girls. Show. Thanks. Okay, limit setting. Guys, Woo. Jessica, we've talked about this. Mm-hmm. The chapters, my pages through these chapters are worn out. And I <laughs> said last time on communication, that was my hardest, but that might have been a story limit setting I'm yes. struggling with. <laughs> yes, exactly. There's a lot there. There's a lot of details. There's a lot to think about. And how does it actually apply in my family to my life? It's hard to figure it all out. Right. Because we're all so different. Like there are different facets to, to each of our families and in life. So yeah, so I'm excited about this episode. Dr. Ken, I am just expecting all this wisdom. This reminds me of why I think in that chapter, one of the first things I say is if you've skipped ahead to this chapter, please go back because everyone's like, yeah, whatever, blah, blah, communication. Tell me what to do when she rolls her eyes at me, you know, that sort of thing. Yes. 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 I relate. Calm down, everybody. Just cool your jets. Okay, well, Dr. Ken, that's my first question. Is this a struggle for parents? If so, what are the most common struggles you see parents having with limit setting? Yeah, it is a very common struggle. And a big part of the reason it's a struggle is that if you're not careful as a parent, you'll turn or kind of dump everything into a limit setting problem. And you really need to be careful about kind of how you're approaching your teenager so that when you set limits, you can be very effective. But if you take every problem you're having with a teenager and make it a limit setting thing and try to control it, then you run out of ammo pretty quick. So we've already talked about, for example, communication. And you know, now I hope you know, you cannot make your teenager talk to you. But now that we're talking about limit setting, you might think of it like it's a really poor use of ammo to say, you know, if you don't tell me why you're upset, I'm going to take your phone. Well, why would you do that? You're not going to get anything. So one of the ways to be effective with limit setting is to be careful and clear about what you're setting limits on and what you're not and how to do it when you do set those limits. So that's one of the most common problems is kind of dumping everything into a limit setting or control issue. So what I would say, for example, is the reason I want people to not jump to this is that if you are working on planned emancipation and you're letting go of control, and if you're doing what you can for communication, then those two things most always take off a lot of the problem that you might be having to do with limit setting. And and so you need to make sure you're doing those two things first, and then you can approach problems you may be having with misbehavior and acting out. So in your book, Dr. Ken, you talk about four laws of disciplining adolescents. We've covered the first two briefly in other episodes, but can you just go over those four for us? Yeah, you know, and I I call them laws, but they're, you know, they're really just virtually always true and just something to keep in mind. For example, number one says a parent can never make an adolescent do anything. And the key there is to keep in mind what we've already talked about. You really want to avoid control battles because you'll end up looking bad 
bad and teenagers make a huge deal out of who's in control of this. So what I mean by that is that, for example, we've already talked about instead of a policeman where you're caught trying to, quote, make your teenager do something, you're much more powerful as a judge that's simply letting them know the consequence for what they do or don't do. So by by making sure that you know that you don't make your teenager do anything, what I mean by that is that you use your authority correctly and not get into battles that you can't win by sort of almost physically, if you will, trying to make your teenager do something that always is a loss and mm-hmm. is your weakest point. The second one I talk about is that adolescents learn from experience, not words. And we've already talked about the joy of speech making, but it's not uh, helpful to your teenager. And in this case, it, you want to be careful that when a teenager is in trouble for something, believe it or not, this is not the time to make a speech. They really aren't listening. And so real effective limit setting is v- done in very few words and definitely much more in action. But the, I think the two we haven't talked about is the role of anger and yelling. You know, when your teenager does something really bad, like uh, gets uh, suspended from school, it can be very upsetting. And for many of us, especially as dads, but moms do it too, fear turns into anger. We mm-hmm. express our fears as anger. And it sometimes to parents seems like a kind of a, my anger is a big gun that I hate to take out, but I do take it out when it's necessary to really get my point across. And that's really the opposite way to look at it. When you are angry and really yelling, it is less effective than anything because it only makes you the center of this as the parent rather than what you need to make this learning episode or this consequence is about your teenager, not about you. Mm -hmm. So anger and yelling is really counterproductive. Dr. Ken, do you think whenever a parent starts yelling at their teenager because they are angry, is it true that they just shut down and they're not listening anyways? Virtually always, yes. Uh, They really are not listening. And I mentioned that when we talked about speech making, the same thing is when you make an angry, loud thing, and this can literally go on sometimes for over 30 minutes. Teenagers Mm -hmm. tell me it went on for two hours and I doubt that's actually true. (laughs) Just felt that way. (laughs) But these are lengthy talks that parents really comfort themselves that their angry tirade really is going to make sure this doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. And that is really a myth and really a covering for most of us. It's just because I want an excuse to really let out my emotion and try to scare and upset my teenager. And I guarantee you, they are not sitting and thinking, wow, I'll never vape again. This is, I didn't realize how upset they're going to (laughs) be. They're actually thinking, man, my parents are nuts. They are just loons. Right. And then number four, Dr. Ken, you talk about lack of parental unity. It undercuts effective limit setting. Could you explain that more and go in more depth with that one? Yeah, this doesn't apply to everybody, but it applies in two big settings. The first one is, you know, marriage isn't easy. I don't think that's news to anyone. (laughs) If there's anyone that's just fresh off their honeymoon and doesn't know it yet, well, congratulations. But marriage can be tough. And, you know, over the years, you can drift into, especially when you have children, you can drift into Kind of a truce that look, we obviously don't have passion for each other, but we're co-parents uh, in a really you know cruddy nonprofit organization, and so we just try to trudge along as parents. Well, that can lead to very commonly differences about should we make a big deal out of this thing? I don't think the way you discipline is uh, the right way, and if parents can't talk these things out together, then they definitely need to know that they are cutting each other off at the knees. 
So, for example, if you say, yeah, I know that your dad said you could go to the movie, but you didn't ask me. And so you're grounded. You really are putting way too much burden on a teenager for them to bridge that gap. And so I would say that if you and your spouse are having consistent differences that you're not working out, that's a marriage issue. And you really need to work on your marriage, whether that's in counseling or talking together. You really have to work that out. The key here is that you can't just jump over it. Like, yes, I know it's bad, but we don't have time for that. We're worried about our kid. You can't do that. You will, in fact, cut in half each other's effectiveness. And then the the other example where that happens a lot is when you have uh, two different households. So when kids divide their time between their mom and their dad household, it's very common that one household has limits and expectations different from the other. And in those cases, I do recommend that you try to talk with your ex about coming to some compromise on your differences. The reason I say try is because that's usually the reason we divorce. It's commonly not possible to talk things through and that's that just needs to be accepted. But what may surprise parents is that in that case, I think if you find yourself being the higher expectation household, the one that doesn't allow as much as the other, virtually always it's the mother that is more higher expectation and the dad is Disney dad. That sounds bad on men, but that's the most common pattern. It's really worth with teenagers, it's actually worth changing your standards to meet the other parent's household at least halfway because it's important for teenagers to hear you saying, look, I know that it's different at your dad's and I'm sorry that it's tough for you here. So because of that, we're going to not require you to do this other thing that we normally would require. That does still give the right kind of message. Here's the thing that doesn't happen is that my teenager doesn't like that we don't let her go to this place, but her dad does. What doesn't happen is that your teenager secretly knows you're right and thanks you for not letting her do that. That's not true. They really don't <laughs> like it. So you have to really consider the limit. Uh, again, this is within reason, obviously, if one family lets, you know, buys cigarettes for your teenager, well, that's that's a different issue. But usually it's things like uh, how much they're allowed to use devices, contact with peers that's, you know, less monitored at that house. Those are things you really have to rethink so that you don't become ineffective uh, in your voice with your teenager. That's very wise words. I think it's hard for parents who are struggling to do the right thing to find a middle ground with an ex. So Dr. Ken, how do we put this into play in our in our lives, in our real households? You know, you, you talk about having these expectations and, and how do we actually do this? Well, it's in the book. You don't have to do every step, like I say, but it's kind of all laid out there that whether you write it out or at least in your own mind, you need to clearly decide what do we expect from this teenager? So for example, you know, things like, look, I'm just tired of your attitude and we're having to tell you to do things over and over again. So you're, you're just grounded. What is the crime there? And what is the punishment? What does that even mean? So it's worth dividing up. What are the things that we actually expect and clearly define what those things are? One of the most common mistakes parents make is they don't clearly define what they expect from their teenager. And what I mean is what I call video camera terms. That is, for example, take care of the dishes after dinner. Okay, I did. I stacked them all in the sink and walked off. No, 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 no. What I mean is you have to rinse off the dishes and load them in the dishwasher before you go to bed every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. That's a clear expectation. This is what I need you to do. And this is the time by which you need to do it. And then the other important thing is if you do not, and on the other side of the page you put, then I will do this thing to you. I will fine you. Uh, We'll take your video games for the next day. Uh, You'll have to come in early the next night. You know, think some consequence must be put there because if you don't put in a behavioral consequence, then you might as well write, or I'm just going to yell at you because the most common (laughs) cause for yelling 
happening is because parents don't pull the trigger on a medium range missile that is a proper discipline for something. We want to be nice and well, I don't want to fine him every time he does that. So I'm just going to explain it again in angry words (laughs) over and over. That's worse. They would much rather just take the consequence. So when my kids were little, I used to make these chore charts with little sections for stars, gold stars, and then however many gold stars you get, you get a prize at the end of the week. So how is this different from a chore chart or or a behavior? contract where you yeah, make you know, them sign and date and yeah and we agree. did that and I can remember telling my wife where's that chart we haven't it's dusted <laughs> it's yes. like dust. <laughs> yes. uh, this is very different and it's not a contract and that's what's very common parents will say oh we already tried that and he signed it and and guess what he didn't follow it yeah no no, no. it's not an agreement that makes it sound like we're all roommates here it is a promise your father and I your mother and I promise that we expect these things now by the way there are other things we expect that aren't on the list but we're going to try to clarify the things that we expect in other words you won't put on the list that you can't get drunk and drive the car into a wall, but that's kind of implied. So these would be the things that come up regularly. We want to be clear with you what we expect from you. And we promise that if you do not do these things, we will do this thing to you. So there's no reason for a teenager to sign it. Heck, there's really not any reason for the teenager to see it. Sometimes teenagers, when parents are showing a list, the teenager will wad up her copy and throw it on the floor. The parents are all (laughs) stunned. Like, what do we do now? And again, I always tell you, if you want to be effective and a teenager does something very dramatic, if you want to be effective, your first step is to smile and you just (laughs) say, wow, okay, you'll probably want a copy of that because we will be following that. But if you don't want a copy, that's fine. So anyway, but you write it out as a, uh, on one side of the page is these are the expectations clearly stated. And on the other side of the page, this is the consequence. But you really want to try to put not a lot of stuff on there because if you put a bunch of stuff on there, then you're probably doing too much that's control. You're not doing enough that's communicating and letting go of stuff. And you're going to end up with a really complicated list of stuff that you guys aren't really going to follow through with. So for most kids, that expectations list is, I don't know, five things at the most, three to five. Shouldn't be a ton that you're regularly having to discipline them for. Okay, that's good. That's good. Five is doable. I'm thinking, you know, there are a hundred things that irritate me that I'm going to, that I don't want to have to talk (laughs) about anymore and put on this list, but five (laughs) is doable. (laughs) Right. And you have to keep that in mind. Yeah. Make it realistic. When will we initiate this consequence? So for example, a chore, I'm not going to look and do anything about this until, let me look. Oh yeah. Bedtime. And Bedtime is when I go and knock on the door and say, uh, by the way, you lost a dollar and uh, you'll need to finish the dishes uh, by the time you leave for school in the morning or you'll lose your phone for a day. Good night, sweetie. And that's it. That's that's all you do. You do not. You do not remind. Do not pressure. You're not a policeman. You're a judge. You simply issue the consequence when it happens. So I guess the natural course of this is that you're going to have to update it, right? I mean, you've got things that change in your life, but then you also have... Maybe, you know, this isn't a problem every single night. They do the dishes as they're supposed to be doing. And and does that kind of just move off the list? How do you how do you keep this moving along with your life as it changes? Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, If you do it right, then things that were on the expectations list last year are now on the freedoms list this year, or at least it's changed. So last year, you know, for example, you're 
up to your junior year, we said you had to keep minimum grades or, or you'd lose electronics. But this is your senior year and we are taking that off and you no longer answer to us about your grades, things like that. But the other thing that changes is you uh, have a consequence for something like their language. You know, they keep popping off and saying a cuss word, for example. And we told you it's a 50 cent fine every time you do that. Well, it's been two weeks and you're up to 10 bucks for 50 <laughs> cent fines. So I'm afraid we're going to have to, the fine is now $2 every time. So sorry, big guy. We're trying to help you here. You, you really want to be kind of reluctant. You know, we're trying not to push this and control it, but this consequence doesn't seem to make a difference to you. So we're going to up it. And the reason you want to be on that line, because the other side is you want to be careful that you don't pretend like I am, I'm looking for consequences that will quote, make you not do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Those are coercions and you can't do that. So a consequence for finding them smoking is not, I made them go out and smoke a whole pack of cigarettes till they threw up. That's never good parenting anyway, but it's definitely not parenting for teenager. We're not trying to teach them. We're just simply making them suffer the appropriate manner until they decide to do something different. I think that's a good point because a lot of times I try to think of a consequence that's so severe that they just avoid it altogether, that they're afraid of that consequence so they don't even make those bumpy failures. Exactly. Right. But then I lose my authority to have like big guns <laughs> when I need and, them. Well, I need the other to have one, smaller consequences along the way. Yeah, and the other one is that you'll have that, that snooty <laughs> teenager that will make the argument that, you know, you grounding me for my electronics is not going to make me want to do my homework. And then you're sort of, a lot of parents are scratching their head like, yeah, how do we find the consequence that gets them to do this thing? Uh, again, you're not a policeman. You really want to make sure your teenager hears you saying, yeah, you're too old for me to make you do stuff. So this is just hoping you'll suffer until you make a better choice. But nah, we're not able to make you do what you know you need to do. You're too old for that. Mm -hmm. So it's it doesn't have to be the kind of creative punishment that you might be looking for with children that help to not only it's a consequence, but it's teaching them. So, you know, I want you to write a I'm sorry letter to your brother is both a consequence but also teaching that you should model behavior of being sorry. Well, that that's probably good with children, little children. But teenagers are too old for that. They end up really resenting the implied patronizing nature of that, that I'm going to do something and make you think differently. They can smell that a mile away and will really want to make you see that you can't make me think differently. So you don't want to get into that. Thank you for listening in today. We still have more to cover on Limit Setting. Join us next week for the second half. Thanks for joining us today. Hit the subscribe button so you won't miss an episode. Also, leave us a review. This is how other listeners find our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Feeding the Mouth. We appreciate you and would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas about what we've discussed today, please email us at podcast at feedingthemouth.com. 